Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Uh, today we're going to be talking to Ray. Hey. Uh, we're talking to Ray today about the fluidity of prep and uh, what he has kind of subtitled The Delicate Art of Lying to Your Players. Uh, how's it going, Ray? Oh, it's good. How are you guys? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Doing good. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I think this is my third yeah, time on your show. Third time. Yeah, good times. All right, so... This time, you have to ask me, what are my role-playing credentials? Because it's the third time I've been on here, and you've never asked me what my actual credentials are. So I don't think these people know why they should listen to what I have to say. <laughs> so, Ray, tell us about your DM experience. Oh, man, okay. So, uh, I've been playing D&D since high school, which I'm bad with math, but I think that that's like 12 or 13 years. I've probably been DMing for about eight of that off and on. Uh, I've run a fourth ed campaign that was really good, went all the way from 0th level to 10th. Uh, I've run some beats of Masterminds. Third Ed, Fifth Ed, um, Vampire, Werewolf, old sort of school like, hack. <laughs> old school hack. Oh my god, yes, that was a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, so I've been doing a lot of DMing. Uh, I've got a lot of practice, at least uh, one good campaign every edition. Right now I'm running a Pathfinder campaign, actually, and we started again at third, and now we're up to seventh. So, yeah. Cool. How do you find Pathfinder? I really like it a lot. So um, if you're coming from 3.5 and that style of D20, you're going to really like it. It's going to be feel like D20. Or D&D 3.75. If you're coming from 5th Ed, it's going to feel really crunchy. 5th uh, Ed is lean and mean, and it's very easy to teach and run, uh, but it's not very granular, right? You make four 4th-level fighters, and other than Longsword or Great Axe, they're pretty much the same dude, right? Four champions are four champions. In Pathfinder, you can make four 4th-level human fighters with Longswords, and you can build them differently, and they can feel different. So I like that. But it is definitely sort of like you'd want to start with fifth ed. That's your training wheels, and then then you can really roll around in the crunch. You have spells that last for hours instead of one spell for concentration, stuff like that. Uh, but both have their pros and cons. Yeah, I've got the beginner's box for Pathfinder, and it's gonna be a while before I run that. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's an intimidating looking system. Yeah, you should play first, definitely. Uh, with Pathfinder, it's very important. I would definitely agree because I've only played the the what ended up being a two shot that you ran. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like even that was after, the Fate wedding game. Yeah, yeah. Even after that, I, I feel like I have a better understanding of it that would be real useful if I was running. Yeah, that, like going in, no idea what <laughs> half the stuff was. Yeah, it's definitely a bit of a learning curve. Uh, it's definitely a system where you want to start low. Like we ran that, it was like twelfth level because it was like high concept. Sixteenth, sixteenth level. Fuck. Okay, pardon. It's <laughs> more on your podcast. You're allowed to swear. Okay, fine. cool. Um, we, yeah, we mark it as explicit. It's all good. Right, awesome. But uh, but yeah, no, uh, definitely Pathfinder, you want to start at like first, second, third. Um, as with any system, I think third is where the juice is. Like that's first and second in any system. It's just like, oh, six hit points. That's not good. So. Okay. So, uh, Ray, you, you proposed this, this entire episode idea to us. So yes. we know you have lots to say. So, I have a lot. Always. First off, I guess kind of a... Just, just kind of a definition or what you think about when you say fluidity of prep. Right. So uh, for me, fluidity of prep is, is almost less of like a, like a noun and more of a, like a philosophy. So in my mind, uh, fluidity of prep is sort of where you take a look at the fact that when as a DM you write a story or you write a session or you prep something, you put it all down on page with sort of your best guess as to how the, the players are going to feel, the characters are going to act, and then you run it from there. 
A fluidity prep is a lot of things, but I think, um, you know, it's, it's prepping content that doesn't always have all the answers so that it can be fluid. You know, uh, they find a note on the bandits who had been sent to ambush them, uh, and it's from some mysterious benefactor, and you give them a name, and you don't actually have to know who, you know, Corville Drake is, uh, as long as his name is on there and he says, make sure to kill Algarth and bring his sword to me, right? You don't need to know what any of that is, uh, but the characters will think you know, and that's really half the battle. Uh, you know, the other thing is when you prep a session, you think that they're going to go here, have an encounter with the mayor. He's going to send them on the quest. They're going to go on the quest and have two fights and, and then maybe an ambush at the end. Uh, but you run that combat or that encounter with the mayor and it winds up being three hours long. Right, so they get out into the woods and you're gonna have them barter with a troll for safe passage across the bridge, but you can tell your party is all RP'd out. You can just remove the troll from the entire thing. You don't have to have the troll comes out of the bridge and like, give me your gold. You don't have to do that. Um, and that's sort of the fluidity part is keeping your prep open and loose so that you can um, adjust it. So you can account for the choices your players make because they're gonna make choices you're not expecting. Uh, they're gonna be like, we don't go west, we go east. Yeah, well, the bridge can be to the east, that's fine too. Uh, you know, again, that's part of the fluidity. Um, so I really wanna talk about just ways that as a DM, you can avoid looking down at your prep and be like, oh no, I said they went west and now now I don't know what to do. Um, and, and it's just about being flexible, both to accommodate your players so they can have a lot of fun uh, and then also to accommodate yourself so that you're not stuck there being like, I don't know, guys, I didn't expect you to go in the back door. Uh, you know, or if they go, well, there must be a back door in the kitchen, right? What if there's a fire? You go, oh, there would be. Just add one. It's not on your dungeon map, but just add one. That's kind of fluidity of prep for me. So talk to us some more about lying to your players. <laughs> so that's my favorite part. Um, so I will preface this by saying uh, it may feel controversial, um, but I don't think the the dice and the rules and even what you write down is there for any other purpose than to service the enjoyment of yourself and your players right the game is all about us getting together having fun exploring our concepts whatever it is right i'm, I'm definitely a more story driven dm than an action driven dm but i think you can lie to your players in both cases and it can be for the betterment so i'll give you some examples of what i mean when i say you know lying to your players you know Sometimes it's okay, especially if you roll behind a screen or in private, to fudge dice for dramatic effect. You never want to let your players catch you, and this is true of all of this, right? Like if you're going to swap out a troll for a merchant or whatever, or if you're going to, you know, say that the, the, the dragon fails his saving throw at the 11th hour and the party pulls out the win, even though he rolled a 20 behind your screen, you just, you, you've got to be prepared to roll with that. Um, I don't think you want to do any of this stuff all the time, you know, to the point where you know, even you will look back and not really remember when you were cheating and when you were playing it safe. But I think that, you know, we all want to capture, and correct me if you don't feel the same way, um, we all want to capture that sort of like TV grandiose movie feel, you know, you sweep into the room and you dispatch the foes and you save your friend who's about to die, you know, and, and things like that. Or you, you catch up with your rival, you and your friends, but it's you who faces off against him in the end and puts the sword in his heart and says, that's for my father. You know, it's harder to corral that at a D&D table on an initiative track by the rules. Because it's just like... So go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just thinking like, <clears throat> you know, there's the kind of like high fantasy epic adventure kind of D&D and then there's also the like kind of nitty gritty like we're a bunch of uh, of hobos who are trying to make our way in this world but like that's still TV. Like that's more Game of Thrones than like, you know, some... I can't think of another show. But um, <laughs> I think like kind of what I'm... Th 
what's been going through my head is that like when you're lying to your players, it's not malicious lying. Right. You're trying. You're not lying to them to be like, hey, 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 it's actually got forty more HP. No, no. You're lying to your players to be like, oh, okay, like. The dice said that the the dragon should have failed this saving throw, but that was a really awesome moment, so he fails. Right. Or you know the the players are are all about to die, and the the role of this sorcerer like should have said that he cast the spell at a, an even higher level or whatever, but actually no, like for some reason the gods intervened and his spell failed or whatever. Like it's a way of making it so that especially when you're like you said running behind a screen, like you can make sure that your players are are having fun, especially at those big moments. Right, exactly. Like, you know, at the at the end of the day, you plan an ambush, just a random ambush on a roadside with some bandits, and the players roll a string of crits, and they murk the bandits in a round and a half. Doesn't matter. It makes them feel real big. That's great. That's fine. Um, you know, it doesn't matter who they were. Maybe they were the, the ancient order of the blade, and they were supposed to be really tough. You, if you really want, you can just strip that off. They were just some bandits now, right? These don't have to be the name brand assassins you were building up if they got murked. Or you can cheat a little, uh, and you can deploy a second wave of assassins. You know, this was the distraction, you know, and then meanwhile, the other assassins, the real assassins, are decloaking with invisibility potions to turn the tide of the battle. It depends on what you're going for. The point I'm making is that, you know, you you want to do it to protect the story or the challenge, right? If you're a combat group, if you're all like, oorah, dungeon, kick in the door, let's kill things, then you want to challenge your players. You want them to feel big when they're big, and you want to feel them challenged when they're challenged, especially with boss fights, major plot points, uh, you know, you fight the dragon, and those are the places where you want to, again, not all the time, and never tell them you're going to, but uh, you want to shore things up, you want to hedge those bets. Um, the other time that's really important, I think, to be fluid, and this is kind of blending the two topics, fluidity and lying, is running a mystery. That is the place where you need to be prepared to just, like, set out the clues that you've prepped, and then be prepared to agree with your players when they don't find them. So, you know, you, you think, oh, there's a murder, they're going to search the body and roll medicine, no one has medicine, whoops, or they botched the medicine roll, whoops. Uh, you know, they're going to search the desk and find a note from this guy, it's clearly a threat, oh, they don't. You know, and instead of just being like, you should check the desk, you should check the desk, when the ranger's like, I, uh, I search for tracks. Yeah, you know what? Maybe you're going to add some tracks that you didn't plan on. You know, uh, maybe you're going to add a scent that his wolf companion can find, and that leads him outside, which leads to tracks. The point is, you need to be ready to meet your players halfway, especially when you're running a mystery or an exploration, because you might think it's obvious they're going to question the house staff. And look, if you want to say that to them, that's okay. There's certain points where as a DM, you can be like, you know, it's pretty obvious. I'm just going to say, by the way, you know, you're a sleuth. Uh, Jeffrey, why don't you why don't you talk to the chambermaid and see what she has to say? But sometimes you don't want to hold their hand, and instead they're coming up with all these really cool ideas that don't fit your plot, and you're like, nope, I know he has boots of flying. That wouldn't happen, so no, you don't find that. But you can tone those things down, right? You can ad-lib some stuff that allows them to explore the scene on their terms, and again, that's the fluidity that we're talking about, uh, because you want them to feel like they're what they want to do is valuable instead of just the three clues you've set out or the five clues that you've set out because you can't account for everything. Yeah, because the difference between like writing a mystery story, like a book or a short story or whatever, is that you know all like the path that the detective is going to take. There's going to be, here's the red herring and here's how he's going to deal with that, figure out that, oh, it was a red herring or or that these clues are more important whatever because you're in complete control. Right, you're the detective and the villain. Yeah, yeah. whereas in, in, a, in a role-playing game, you have to be open to 
uh, one of my uh, favorite shows right now is The Good Place. And there's an episode <laughs> Don't where... Don't spoil like, the second season for no, me. There's an episode in the first season where yeah. like, the, like there's a bad thing happening and like the and one of the characters is like trying to hint that he's like really on their side. And afterwards they're like, oh, we, we found your hint. And he's like, I left you several thousand, but it's good that you found that one. Like, like that's the flips, like, kind of have to flip that on its head where, like, the players are going to come up with way more clues just trying to think about what's going on than you ever could as a DM. Right, exactly. And so you have to be open to saying, like, actually, yeah, like, if you want to use your intimidation to do this thing with the butler then yeah that's going to be how you find out about this clue like it's i feel like it's almost better to have like here are the things they need to find out how they find out about them is up to them because they're going to be much more yeah and and like often with mysteries it's much more memorable when they come up with something that's interesting that you hadn't thought of and you're like right that's what's happening right you've (laughs) taken my my next point for me and i'm glad that you said it and that's one of the things so first of all like you're saying when they want to intimidate the butler maybe the butler never knew anything he was supposed to be an innocent bystander but they crush it they got 20 barbarians plus seven for intimidating he's like i got 27 what am i getting out of this guy i pick him up by the shirt you know And, and you're like Ah, oh, crap. And the honest answer is, uh, he just wets himself, and he's like, I don't know anything. But that's so, so disappointing on a big roll, on a big moment, and the barbarian's finally jumping into the mystery. Normally, he just kind of sits there waiting to crush things with his fist. Uh, no, all of a sudden, the boy says, oh, I had to. He has my daughter. And you just suddenly add this whole backstory in there. Now, the caveat, and I know we're going to kind of talk about caveats a little later, but just on that point, just because it feels congruent, is you want to make sure that you're operating within your own comfort level, right? Um, so don't make up anything that you're not prepared to manage. Um, and that's just basic line. Keep keep your, your changes as simple as possible, uh, as effective as possible. But um, yeah, and then Jesse, like you were saying, uh, that is a big one. Again, with the whole fluidity thing is the players decide that, oh man, it's got to be the Duke. And here are six reasons why. They've got six reasons, you guys. And they're good reasons. You're like, well, yeah, he too is an, is, is an Archmage. Oh, they remember he's a former Archmage. Oh, he too specialized in summoning creatures. And of course, there was a summon monster in this adventure. And you're like, oh, wait. Oh, he did have that argument that you didn't plan in your prep, but the role play kind of created between him and the victim. You're like, oh, man, he has, an, he has an agenda. He has no alibi. He's got means and motives. Like, yeah, you know what? It, it's no longer the cult of the Serpent King. Uh, it's, it's, it's Archduke. Bronson, he's the bad guy. Just, that's okay, you know. That's. Yeah. I just realized that in the world of D and D, there's almost no such thing as an alibi, because if you can summon something to go sit oh, in after somebody, totally. like, it doesn't matter that you were at home with your wife and children, or at the bar with fifty people. You could have gone to the washroom and summoned well, something. That's, that's it. Or you could have summoned it before you left. I'm like, all right, you're here for three hours. An hour after I leave this house. Go into my neighbor's house and murder him. And the, the thing's just like, oh. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. So, I mean, I I remember, I'll give you a little uh, real life story. I, uh, I was in Cub Scouts as a kid, went to a cup camp. And the theme for this cup camp was a weekend thing. It's an annual camp. was murder mystery. And, and, you know, they put all these clues. Of course, we're like 10, you know, so we're pretty like simple in our ability like you know it just should be like two clues and an obvious culprit we had all these different ideas there's one a bunch of red herrings one of the scout leaders had like a magazine about like like guns and ammo and another guy was all like oh i used to be a knife thrower like just all this stuff and it turned out there was this really complicated solution with like numbers on pages and all this stuff and we're we're like 11 10 you know whatever we, we missed it entirely and so then the the guy who had planned it all was very pleased with himself he had this very machiavellian thing he's like and so this is this and this is this and that is this and bye don't you see and we're all just like 
we have campfire now, right? Because again, it's no fun when you turn around and you say to your players, ah, yes, but you failed to, to, to realize, and if only Jeffrey had made his intelligence roll, and if only Sarah had made her wisdom check, and if only you guys had questioned the butler, and you know, again, that's no fun. Um, so Yeah, because like the it comes back to the whole thing, like one of the kind of main things with being a DM is mm-hmm. that you're there to help the players have fun. If yeah. you're focusing on like, oh, this is going to be so awesome when the players figure out my intricate solution, right. like... If they don't, then you're just going to, well, hopefully you'll feel like a jerk and the players aren't going to have any fun. Yeah, exactly. Now, I, I want to be clear. In my mind, fluidity of prep is less about about facing and being like, it was supposed to be a dragon and now it's the elves. Instead, it's about marrying what works and what you had in plan. So they think it's the elves. And sure, again, you've, you've kind of stepped in it and given them every reason to think it was the elves. Just you didn't think they would think that because they're elves and they're good. Instead, you just turn around and you say, the corner of the elves are like, how could you? And they're like, oh, the dragon. He's been threatened. Like you just bring in your real idea and hold hands with the new idea. Yeah. Right? Same thing. It's not the, it's the archduke or whatever, but only because he's now part of the cult of the serpent god, right? It's easy, you know? And then they, they, they question him, they capture him, and if you want to keep all your original prep, he surrenders and tells them where his boss is. And then they go off to the cult hideout, and you still have your dungeon crawl. You know, you just you just have to add in another layer. You know, and most of this stuff is going to bridge sessions, and that's your sweet spot. You really only have to lie well enough to get to the end of this session, which is just, like, really quick and dirty stuff, because the momentum carries you. And then it, after the session, you go home, and you're like, all right, to rework my story but you're not changing it you're enriching it right you're You're tossing you're not tossing out what you did you're just like taking the threads that appeared while the players are doing stuff and working it into what you exactly exactly so i did want to circle back to the question of lying to your players especially when it comes to things like mechanics um because there are a few things that i think are really important again like when you have a player who has a vendetta against an npc or a reason to go after them and the party finally catches up to him and he wants to again rescue his his girlfriend or boyfriend, uh, avenge his husband or wife, um, whatever, take back the artifact, you know, right the honor of the order that was, you know, tarnished. Sometimes it's very important to that character, but it's more important to judge if it's important to that player, that he gets a meaningful, like, piece of that action, or she, I shouldn't always say he. Um, and if so, again, you know, what's, what's adding or subtracting 10, 15 hit points from the monster? Or the player, or the, or the villain, right? <laughs> sorry, sorry, player, you have ten less, uh, right. less hit points now because of reasons. <laughs> yeah, so you know, um, yeah, that's that's the thing is like you know you want you want that moment where like he he hits him and he gets him, uh, and it's really extra easy to do. You know, the players don't know what this guy is. He doesn't know if he's a fifth level warlock or if he's a tenth level fighter or if he's he's actually got demon hit dice. Like they don't know, right? And and. I honestly think that one of the biggest things I stopped doing that I think was really smart for my storytelling was I stopped letting my players see the stat blocks afterwards. So it used to be like, oh, that was a super cool fight against that two-headed dragon. Can I see his stats? Uh, and, you know, uh, now I'm just sort of like, well, I can tell you what he can do. I can tell you some of his abilities. Because um, the other thing I like to do is add or subtract abilities from monsters to keep the fight interesting. Right. Um, I did up this uh, in my Pathfinder game. I uh, they they delved into this this manor, this haunted manor of this noble family, and the whole family had been like wiped off the face of, of the earth. And this is baked into the setting, and I kind of co-opted it and adjusted it for my story. Um, and so I'm running this sort of dragon vengeance sort of storyline where they don't realize there's these dragons in the background, and they've kind of found out. Uh, and so long story short, they go in there. 
and they find this living spell, this blasphemy spell, sort of the the remainder of an ancient ritual, dragon blood magic, that had been cast to wipe out this family, except there had been one one tiny bloodline that had bred into the common, like, common, like, uh, populace, and, you know, lost track of by the house, no one even knew it was there, so what happens is the ritual goes off and murders all the true-blooded nobles in this family, just, like, literally, they just evaporate, right? Like, except for the ones in the house where it goes off, that's a little more brutal, they, they kind of get burnt to ash. Everyone else just disappears. Very, very Infinity Wars, <laughs> but again, it, I ran it before I saw it, so I, it's not cheating. Um, anyway, long story short, they get in there, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's gonna be great, I had this, like, their sixth level, I had this eighth level monster planned, it was really rough and dangerous, and they had it on its knees, mechanically speaking, in the first round. A couple lucky crits, some big damage, I was like, mm, this is not, and this is at the heart of the mystery, the heart of the thing, there's a lot of story elements that I won't beleaguer the point by explaining, but it all came to this point, this is like, and the dungeon was so good that the boss had to be great. So instead, I, he's this like living column of black flame, and he starts shooting out into these bronze statues in the room. I did not plan this. I just made this up. Uh, you know, and they come to life, and then they're battling them, and they're, of course, melting because they're bronze, and it melts very easily, and then doing fire damage when they're hit, and it feels very like evocative, and it also feels very dynamic. And then, as the statues are getting killed, because they're just like first-level monsters, they, they're pooling into the center of the room and reforming into this big sort of bronze golem with all these like angry faces and screaming you know visages and then they had another sort of beat down with it and i was letting it sort of soul bond with the because of course the last scion of the house that common bloodline guy he's one of the players which is why i wrote the story that way for him you know he's trying to like channel his sort of like draconic heritage to power like to fight the spell and it's trying to do the same to him and and there's these like opposed charisma roles i just kind of winging it but it was a lot better than just, oh yeah, you killed the monster, it's dead, you, you've taken back the house, right? And and my players did not know I was improvising this at all. They thought it was all off my sheet, I keep looking at my notes, pretending to look at my notes, I'm really just stalling to remember the AC. And they still cite it as like one of the best fights in the game, and we've played for like nine months. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> kind of the thing, like, when it comes to, I think it's with, with D&D and and it sounds like Pathfinder, any of the D20 based systems, yeah. it sounds like one of the hardest things to be able to prep effectively are boss fights because, yes. because the system can be so swingy. Like you could have a boss fight that like, mm. this is supposed to be the pre boss because like, they're supposed to just run straight through this guy, but yeah. then they get a, you know, critical miss on every single roll. Okay. Yeah. This guy is the boss because they're just having a really tough time yeah. or, you know, he's supposed to be the big tough end boss and then they crit every roll. Totally. Or he can't buy anything over a five on the dice and you're just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like yeah. Every, every time he goes to, to swing, like the players are blessed by the gods and he misses every single time. Yeah. So <clears throat> when it comes to like D and D, I think you, and Pathfinder, you have to be, more prepared to be like on the fly be like mm, this isn't going so well i need to do something and yeah, you don't I have, have to be for that. great at it just right. like what would be cool in this situation oh i said there were statues oh he's gonna like dissipate and control all the statues yeah exactly all right and then it feels less like oh we killed him oh you're giving him extra life and more like oh he's got another form this is a this is there's multiple phases to this battle and this is actually a concept that i learned about or 
came to appreciate in fourth ed um, was the idea of solo monsters, right? Because that was a big problem that solo monsters in fourth edition had was um, they had a lot of reasons that let them save easy or end effects early, but not enough. And so the players all had these big daily powers that would like stun, blind, uh, immobilize, trip, pin, all these like ridiculous effects. And so what you would do is you'd create a monster who would essentially phase through. So instead of just being like, he's a red dragon with a step block, like, he's a red dragon with a step block. Um, you know, but maybe you'd, you'd cut his health into half. And then when he gets to half of his total hit points, right, he kind of changes tactics and he sort of goes from being like, like one form to another form. He becomes enraged, you know, and then you give him a whole different stat block, right? You give him a whole different list of moves that he can do and it mixes up the fight. It makes him feel more interesting. Um, because he's dynamic, right? He's not just claw club bite breath weapon now. All of a sudden he's got a tail trip and he's, he's got an effect where he can melt the floor and just stuff like that. Or again, where you, you run monsters that change shapes, right? Stuff like that is really cool. A bunch of oozes and then like when, when you're beating them all, they start merging into one or vice versa, discorporating into many. But I do have an actual solution for, I feel like there's more I want to say about the other stuff, but I just want, I want to talk about my favorite thing, Schrodinger's prep. I've used this term before. Uh, I want to talk about it. So you guys all know Schrodinger's cat, right? I'm going to summarize just in case anyone listening doesn't get it. Schrodinger essentially takes a cat, puts it in a box, buries the box. This is the thought experiment, by yes. the way. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the thought experiment. And and posits that until he opens, he, he pulls the cat out of the box and looks in the box, the cat is both alive and dead because he doesn't know for sure that it has died yet if he doesn't check the box. And he doesn't know for sure that it's still living unless he checks the box. So... I think that there's something really great called Schrodinger's prep. And that's the idea that you prep content, uh, especially for fights, especially for boss fights, uh, that you deploy if you need to. And if not, it was never part of the story. So you have your, your snake cultist leader and they come in and they're kicking the crap out of this guy. They're just beating him up and down the block. You, you can't get anything. Uh, and, you know, he gets down to... Whatever, wherever you want, half hit points, wherever. It's your up to you. It, it could be zero, but then you're going to give him an extra 40 hit points on the sly. And he says, Balthazrak, to me! All of a sudden, a bearded devil, it doesn't matter, whatever the relevant monster is, appears, uh, a dragon teleports it. It doesn't matter. Pick something that feels right. Um, any monster that has a nascent teleport is really good. Devils and demons are great. Outsiders are great. Some form of beast that's his familiar. The point is he summons a monster that he kind of has a connection with, and it shows up, you know? Uh, and you can really play this up in character, right? You have this devil, he shows up, he's like, Ah, master, I told you you'd need me. You're nothing without my might. Shut it! I'm dying here! Help me! And then you can do whatever you want. The, the devil can uh, throw down for a few rounds, and when the, the cult leader is killed, decide to leave. He can fight to the death. The cult leader can make a break for it with a full withdrawal. The devil wades into combat. You've got options. The point is, uh, whatever you're deploying, whether it's um, whether it's a monster, whether it's um, again, this is where you're you're sort of masking your deceit, right? He or he pulls out a potion and he drinks it, and it's some sort of terrible mutagen. And all of a sudden, he he grows size categories, and he's getting extra arms, and he's just like, I didn't want to resort to this, you know, and calls on his god. Give me your blessing. And he turns into a giant seven-headed snake. Perfect. Okay, cool. But the point is, if you don't need to do it, you don't do it, right? They have a really great fight with him. He's a sixth-level spellcaster. They're third level. He gives them a run for their money. Uh, you know, he he gets his licks in and they get him. Great. None of this had to be true. But they roll up on him. He's supposed to be three levels better. He's supposed to be the, the top of the pyramid. And they just, again, 
couple lucky crits or whatever. Every one of his spells just to like, he's like, ha ha, fizzle. Totally. <laughs> you know, and I mean, D20 games, even 5e, have some spells where if you fail your save, you're really hooped. Whole person is a great example, right? Once you're once you're held immobile and you can't act, one free round on the half part of the players and you're really beaten up. But if you want to concede that he can, you know, with his indomitable will, utter a few words, again, he'd be like, bow those rock, and then boom, he gets his reinforcements. And it doesn't even have to be that that flashy. You can have, if they didn't clear out the whole dungeon, you can have a patrol of, of cultists come in and be like, what's the commotion? <gasps> we have intruders! And they jump into the mix. Um, so I think all of that is really, really good to pad out a combat or adjust it. It's a little harder to do it on the reverse where you're wiping the floor with the players. But again, the players don't know how many spell slots this guy has. He doesn't know what he's got prepared, any of that. So you can always sort of backpedal it like if he's cast a third level spell they can assume he's a fifth level caster so okay that was his only third level spell he's actually supposed to be eighth level but they don't need to know that yeah i think the fine line here is that when it comes like especially when it comes to boss battles i'm of the belief that like there should be like the table stakes is that the characters can die mm-hmm. and uh if if the boss is doing like there's this fine line between the boss doing well like the way it's supposed to go and he's right. beating on the players of course and the boss <clears throat> doing too well agreed like there's there's that kind of sweet spot where like you know if if the towards you know like at the end of your third or fourth round or eighth in my case <laughs> um my battles tend to go a little bit longer which apparently they're not supposed to you get your players like it yeah you get to a point like they they don't tend to be they don't tend to drag it just tends to be how it goes but mm-hmm. um you get to a point where like okay there's there's one character who's unconscious there's another character who's close the barbarian is getting real low on hit points and you know the other characters are like kind of scrambling to try and figure out what to do like that's fine. that for a boss fight that feels like a good place to be that's what you're trying to engineer here yeah but if you if you get to that point in like the first round something has gone horribly wrong exactly i exactly and that's the thing i again I, the caveat for all of this is like you know you're not you're not sitting there trying to micromanage every facet of the session the combat the story anything what you're doing is this is just a mindset to remind yourself that it may depending on because people come dms tend to come in two varieties the i wrote it this way it's canon it's gospel it's law i it's it's literally like aladdin Right? You know, where the, the Sultan's like, if only you could marry Aladdin! That darn law! And then Jasmine's like, but Papa, you can change the law. And he's like, oh, I can! And you're like, right? So you either have the, the type who's like, I can't change the law. I wrote it, and now it's stone. Or there's the type who says, well, no, it's my prep, and I, I can manage the story. You know, these are just tactics and mindsets to help you uh, remember that when things are, like, when you're looking around the table, it's all slumped shoulders, eyes down, people looking grumbly. You know what? No one's cast a fire spell. Feel free to include a vulnerability to fire on those ghouls. Whatever, right? Yeah. Just happen to point out, I don't know if you guys caught it when I mentioned it before, but they are quite desiccated. You think they might be vulnerable to fire. You know, I'm just throwing that out there. You know, or even not, just wait for the fire to come up and just be like, oh. Yeah. You know, it's it's just to keep things fun. Yeah, I think that, like, that's something also I think you have to be a little bit careful because, like, if the players are feeling down because, like, oh, man, we're all we're all rolling twos and threes, we're not landing any of our hits, and we're getting pounded by this, this like, giant dragon or whatever, or these, these, these ghouls, and then the DM is like... 
hey guys like it, you gotta like, be cautious yeah, for sure because it because <clears throat> that can be even more demoralizing of just like well we were doing bad and now the dm it's, feels bad for well us. that's it yeah i agree yeah that was perhaps a bad example because you don't want them to catch on to what's happening the other thing is sometimes it's okay to give the monsters less efficient actions where they make poor choices that feel in character you know, where it's where it's things like the ghouls are ravenous and they go for the prone body provoking attacks of opportunity, things like that. It really depends. Like you got to, you know, most of this is very corner case. Um, the big the big point is you, you don't want to feel forced to abide by your own prep just because you wrote it. Yeah. You want to enable the players to have agency uh, and you want them to feel like they're having fun. Right. Um, again, yeah, I've run some grueling fights that were intentionally grueling and the players wanted them to be grueling. You know, but on the flip side, you don't want them feeling embarrassed all the time. Yeah, because there's there's a difference between grueling and everybody comes out out of it being like, "Oh, that was tough," versus they come out of it and just being like, "Okay, I don't want to play D and D anymore." Exactly. Yeah, and so you're just sitting there to make sure that it happens, um, which is why, as a, as a personal rule, I prefer to under write like under prep as far as like challenge goes my encounters and then keep something in my mind that allows me to up the voltage you know again where i write the boss as a fifth level caster but i'm prepared to remember oh he was an eighth level caster he casts cone of cold when he's back against the wall against a party of all full hp characters and no one's taking a lick and this is his last action he's obviously going down oh yeah no he opens up with that and they go oh man you know or whatever and again, you can style a lot of interesting stuff into the flavor of the NPC. That is always going to be, especially if you're running, you know, even a, a, a semi-RP, semi-story-driven game, that is going to be the medicine, or the, the sugar that helps you with your medicine, right? Where, where again, you have the, the caster say, I didn't want to resort to this, and he pulls out a scroll. And he makes a, a roll to make the caster check on the scroll, which behind your screen is always going to be a 20. Uh, and he lets off that cone of cold. This is his ace, his pocket ace that he's, he wasn't sure he could handle. You can talk about how he channels the unbridled fury of the spell. It's obviously a spell above his level. You know, you can see that his eyes are bleeding from the strain, like whatever you want to do to, again, make it feel appropriately like, oh, wow, like he's, he's making the risk, he's making the gamble, and it pays off because it gives him some teeth. Um, or you can just literally have him make the role openly. You don't have to fudge these roles. I'm just saying you can, if you need to, to protect the the narrative, yeah. the, the cinematic juice in your session. Because if you roll in the open and it turns out that he can't handle it and he's like, yeah, his eyes freeze over or he freezes yeah, from this. That's also super dope. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it feels like we've gone over a lot of the benefits mm-hmm. of, of adding details later, backfilling and all yeah. this stuff. What are some of the downsides? <laughs> Well, the, 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 again, the risk is that uh, you get caught. Uh, I would never... It depends. If your players love your game so much and they can't help but like talk to you about it, like, oh, the story's always so good, it's so dynamic, and you feel like you have the rapport and you want to have that conversation with them on like, one player, you know, you've got that guy who's your friend, you'd be like, hey, man, just, I just want to let you know, I do play a little loose with my prep uh, because it allows me to tell a dynamic story. But generally speaking, it is not a good idea to let your players know that you cheat. This is one of those things that it's very helpful and it's very useful. I cannot encourage these these tips enough, but you cannot cop to them, right? You, you can't be like, oh yeah, I totally gave him extra hit points. Oh, I totally give him extra attacks. I totally... No, no, no. The players need to feel like it was always legit. That's, that's just... It's just like lying. <laughs> like you, we all tell lies for the benefits of our friends, but but you don't later say, you know, baby, I, I I told you I loved your souffle, but I just wanted you to feel good about it. I don't really like souffle at all. I, I 
hate souffle. No, like you you don't do that. I mean, you know. So yeah, like there's <laughs> there's times where I've done something and uh, like it always feels good. Like especially after like the players throw you a curveball and you have to spend the entire last you know back half of your session like flying by the seat of your pants improvising all this and then you come out of it on top and like the players are like damn that was awesome totally like there's this huge kind of internal thing to just be like i made all of that up on the fly and because then you play like you're hoping that your players should be like wow cool you're so good at this yeah but at the same time like it can also backfire your players are just like yeah wow like none of what we did kind of really mattered because you were just like improvising right but it kind of depends on your group, but like, there's also, yeah, like little things like, I, I agree because there's things that like it happened actually in a recent session where they were trying to find their way out of some catacombs to find a back route out of a mage's tower. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they had to do was like solve a riddle. And it was a fairly basic riddle. And there was, I knew what the solution was. It basically just like, there's a hidden button. You just have to press it. Mm-hmm. And I was expecting them to just like start filling up this mosaic to be like, huh, hey, what's going on? But they started like trying to cast spells and just like, the players aren't going to hear this because this is this episode isn't going to come out for a few months. They're okay, saying this, but basically, like every time they cast a spell, like I animated the mosaic in different ways. Because, right, right. Because there was a an arcane fighter, a cleric, and a druid. So, like every time one of them cast a spell, like the mosaic did a different thing because it was different types of magic. And so, like, dude, I was able to just really quickly impart some more lore into the world. Exactly. But it wasn't planned, and like I feel like. There's definite um, upsides to doing like the kind of stuff we've been talking about, like the boss battles and stuff mm-hmm. like this. But it can also apply in like the small little moments. But oh, the flavor part is probably the best place to use this kind of stuff. Again, it's you. It just it as a player, at least for me, it's disheartening when I'm trying everything I can think of, and the DM's like, nope, no effect, nope, no effect, nope, no effect, like no effect, nothing, right? And like again, the DM doesn't want to be like there. Some some puzzles are so simple you can't really give a hint without spoiling it, but you don't want to you know but again like you said you're you're giving them stuff where their actions still felt valuable where they still felt like they had agency yeah i I think uh some of the best encounters in my pathfinder game have been either improvised on the spot with like npcs i made up on the fly Uh, that's another thing with fluidity of prep sometimes you need to either add in npcs that you didn't think to create but just makes sense where like you know you're in the lord's manor and and the you know the your sort of arrogant bard is like i want to speak with the chef and you're like, fuck, <laughs> there's got to be a chef, you know, or, or sometimes, uh, you know, you need to trim NPCs based on the role play or the, the pacing. This pacing's a big one where you were supposed to, like the, the Lord was supposed to have this surly sort of brother-in-law who was going to just like get in their face. But again, it's just been a long session and no one's in the mood to deal with another stick in the mud. And you know what? Yeah, he's out hunting, or he never existed in the first place, or, you know... He's a complication for a different session. Exactly, right? Sometimes you write this stuff in a vacuum, but then again, we unfold it in real time, and then we have to sort of gauge the reception of our table and see what makes sense. Because we've all seen movies or gone to plays or read books where we're like, I don't know what that character was even there for. That character was superfluous, frustrating, kind of, like, anachronistic. He didn't make any sense. He shouldn't have been there, but he was. Yeah. And and you're thinking, oh. Yeah, so I, I think... The coming back to the like the downside is they yeah. like when when you do improvise stuff or you, you bring in stuff that like oh no I had to bring in this NPC or I had to throw out this NPC like there are things that you can tell the players afterwards just be like yeah you guys really threw me for a loop there and I had to I was flying by the seat of my totally. pants but there are some things that like 
like in a battle like if you had to take away hp from the bad guy or yeah, never there was reinforcements that just didn't show up because you guys were doing real bad yeah there there are times where like the players might know or or, or they like suspect, suspect that but that's, that's not the same as knowing but that's not the same as like because if you tell them like yeah you guys were doing real bad and i had to take out a bunch of monsters they're gonna be like well that's disappointing well right because oh go ahead sorry Jesse. i was i was gonna say on a similar point or yeah Larry, your car- you struck the final blow against this bugbear that killed your father. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, and I told the Laren story in the other episode where she essentially accidentally murdered her father because she got mind controlled by an enemy attack. Um, but yeah, exactly. Like when you catch up with that, the opportunity to finish that that enemy off is very important, right? Unless, again, this is the thing. This is all very subjective. I think it's always important to know your players. Kind of harkening back to our Session Zero conversation in that first episode, it's important to know both the player and the character and where the overlap and divergence is. Because some people want to play a character who who suffers and has hard knocks. And again, this is one of those situations where you, knowing that about, you know, Jimmy and his character, you can visit that upon him, you know. And, and the opposite is true. You know that Chad wants to play this magnanimous, glorious, heroic paladin. Well, you want to give him opportunities. And sometimes the dice will pay out for you, but sometimes you need to line that up, but you never want to let him know that you're setting him up, right? And again, uh, you know, despite my candor and my ease of talking about this, I, I don't even, this doesn't even happen every session. Like, I, I would say, you know, once in like three or four sessions, I find a thing that I need to flub or fudge or adjust. But again, it's when those moments arise you have the opportunity to take something mediocre and make it great for a player or a character or you have something that's going to be really disheartening for the entire group and you have the opportunity to to pull out that that disappointment and again in character disappointment is different than out of character disappointment it's the out of character disappointment you want to look out for right again it's taking bland combats that are supposed to be impressive and making them good it's making situations where it's like this is just bullshit we can't Ah, and making taking that away right it's yeah. that's what we're trying to do here and i think <clears throat> one thing uh to be aware of because this actually happened in my last session where the players decided they were going to go left instead of right and i had to rush to prep some stuff and they ended up fighting a, a dragon mm-hmm. a black dragon an adult black dragon and the fight was going pretty poorly and i realized like okay the dragon is like getting down there in wounds but like if this fight goes two like one more round two of my players are going to die yeah. so i'm going to figure out a way to wrap this up like i i tried to wrap like i wrapped it up in a way that like accidentally almost ended the almost ended the campaign it came <laughs> down to a single die roll and afterwards the players were like yeah like we probably should have like like why didn't we hear that black dragon approaching because it basically like climbed up a watchtower that they were on and like yeah there's times where it where you're going to like try to do this and it's not going to work perfectly they're going to see through the cracks yeah and it's sometimes best like it was kind of hard to like patch up those cracks because they knew that i had just spent 15 minutes preparing this because they went left instead of right right but you kind of just have to roll with it sometimes sometimes it's okay to just say me a culpa yeah say you know what i i probably should have given you a perception check i apologize um that's my bad yeah so but you have to be the kind of DM that's open to being like, yeah, I, I kind of screwed up there, sorry. Or like, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to make this thing fun, and sometimes it's going to be hard, but sometimes I'm going to screw up, and it's just how this game goes. Sometimes. No, I agree. I think yeah. Speaking about one of the pitfalls of again this sort of fluid practice is you got to be sure that again you're always doing this for the benefit of the players. It's not to protect yourself. It's not to make yourself look 
smarter or faster or give your monsters an edge or make your your story seem supreme it's it's to safeguard their good time uh and there are times where you're going to drop the ball and you say man me a couple again my bad i'm responsible i'm culpable that's i forgot that the the, the troll wizard was in the room with you guys i forgot your ally was there he should have been casting spells yeah. that's i got a lot going on you guys right i'm i'm human and that's I'm, okay i have enough trouble <clears throat> keeping track of what the monsters i'm running are supposed to do not, not to mention your allies <laughs> totally no exactly right you know it's just or like i didn't check how what how many casting or how many how much time that spell took to cast yeah so Oops. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. spell should have taken 10 rounds to cast and he got it off in two. Sorry. Yeah, whoops, right? You know, and, and again, there's most groups if you're if you're running a game that's sort of player forward in the sense that you're the sort of DM who's looking out for the player's interests and their good time and you're trying to facilitate for them as opposed to sort of being a player yourself also running the game. As long as you're sort of taking that into your players, I think you tend to wind up with a group of players who appreciate that effort and then there comes those points where you're like, you know what, that's that's on me. I'm so sorry, or oh, I, my bad, you know. And I, you know, I think you guys did it. You did an episode on communication, right, players? Uh, I can't remember. You know, I've, I've listened to a lot up, of your stuff, but yeah. there's there's a lot. So. No, but it just comes up <clears throat> constantly. It's one of the the we keep coming back to the point that it's most important to actually talk to your yeah. players. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that you can't like we can't really do an episode on because it it is part of like everything about running a game is communicating with your players exactly. to make sure that you know you're all on the same page that you know that they're having fun that you know if something comes up that they're able to talk to you like there's it's such a core part of just being a, a gm that you kind of have to just be good at communicating no i agree i i think that's very true what are some things that you think people should keep in mind when they change things on the fly during a session <laughs> that's that's a good question actually a little goes a long way so again, you know, you don't have to make these sweeping changes. Um, like the previous example, the, you, you know, they think it's the Archduke. You think, yeah, you know what, I'm going to be the Archduke. Again, you don't have to come up with a dramatic reason for him to do this, you know, all the way back to when he was a kid. No, 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 no. You know, it's a petty grievance, uh, or he was always in the, the, the snake cult, one of the two, uh, you know, and then you just marry the two together. Again, little goes a long way. I think depending on your group, having it be like a super petty reason, like if your group is a little bit more on the silly, the side? Comedy, the yeah. silly comedy side, like having it be super petty, like, yeah, my brother stole my, my favorite blanket when I was a kid, yeah, and I'm getting back at him. <laughs> totally. No, yeah. I mean... And a lot of times players will just fill in those details anyway. Well, that's that's it, right? You can really rely on your players. Again, if you're running, again, the player-forward sort of game, the players tend to be willing to buy in. You just have to make sure that it's not like, you know, from zero to 60, right? You need to go... One, two, and then like three, and you're like, you're right. Like that, that works. Um, I would say things to keep in mind. Ask yourself, does this make it more fun, and does it make things better? Right? Because again, sometimes what you're changing doesn't need to be changed at all. But you get to that that moment, and you're like, you know what's a better reason, a better motivation, a better NPC than the NPC I wrote down? This NPC. Uh, again, there's no conflict. The players don't even know. It would it would go unnoticed, but you realize that it makes more sense or it is more enjoyable if you deploy it a different way, go ahead. Or same thing. You you plan to have a, the, the, the king's blockade there and you decide, you know what, no, that's going to just feel tough and like pointless. You just remove it. You don't, you don't, they don't even need to know. This isn't even stuff that you're in the middle of telling them about it and you change it. It's just stuff that you, you move things around, right? Again, don't get caught as important. 
I think the the changes you make on the fly are great for a post-mortem session afterwards where you, know, you sort of deconstruct the game and talk about your, all your favorite highlights after a campaign is done. And you say, now did you know that Jarwick, your little uh, bullywug buddy, he was actually supposed to be the cult leader initially. Uh, he was there in disguise and then you guys bonded with him so much. I realized, no, it's just going to feel like such an out of character betrayal to you guys if he turns out to be out to be your betrayer that I, I just sort of wrote that out you know and and usually at that point again everything's all said and done people will probably be like oh yeah Jarwick, we loved him like you know <laughs> um on the flip side um again when it comes to a mystery uh, backfilling details is the easiest way to make the mystery feel authentic like again you know if you're rolling bluff checks every time they interact with the guy obviously suspicious but if you turn around at that key moment of betrayal with an NPC who's been with them for a while and they kind of think oh yeah he's just a farm boy and they catch that crack in his veneer and they realize that there's an assassin out to find them and this guy's been laying in wait for weeks months yeah that's awesome that's great you know and then they you know again they find or whatever they're going through his stuff and they find a set of masterworked poison daggers and they're like what the hell that's that's how you do it um you know because that's dramatic and satisfying you know yeah and i think one of the things with mysteries is that at least for D, i think so many people worry about trying to set up oh i need to set up all the clues and i need to set up all this stuff i think something that i'm just that i'm toying with my head is i think you can kind of just leave it all to your players yes. and then figure it out in the denouement. I like, agree. Yep. Like that's where you figure out like, oh yeah, it was the Duke doing all this mm-hmm. stuff because the players figured this and this and this out and like you don't, maybe don't have to do quite as much work. No. Well, that's it. I think you can waste a lot of time, spend a lot of time that's never going to see light or again, they're never going to stumble into. But instead, I think when you're doing a mystery, because it's one of the things that this is really best for, is you need to keep in mind, you need to know roughly, again, what the mystery is, what the answer is, you know, whether that's who the villain is or, or who, where the thing is or what the thing is or whatever, doesn't matter. And then you just need to think to yourself, okay, what information, not how, but what do I need to impart to the players along the way? And then you can do that any way you want, whether it's through their active efforts, whatever they decide to do. Like, you know, I want to roll Arcana to communicate with planner entities and see if any of them answer my call. Sure, okay. If if you think that's an angle you want to go, go. And if not, you can say, no, you know, you put yourself out there, you make an offering, no, no one answers, no problem. And then the, the other thing is that sometimes they stumble into these clues. The best way to do a mystery is to have the first couple clues be, like, disconnected. Uh, and then when they get the one item, they don't know what it is. They get the second item not in the same way they got the first, and they go, oh my gosh, now that I have this this thing... It, it makes a lot of sense. I, you know, I had this book on languages and now I found this, this cylinder and it's covered in a cipher, but the book of languages, you know, and you can, these are the things you can say to your wizard when he's just sitting around the campfire. You're like, you know, you're looking at the, that cipher, you know, in your downtime uh, and you realize it's the same hieroglyphics on the cylinder. And all of a sudden they're like, oh wait, it foretells of whatever. And then you tie that into what they already know and off you go. You know, and it just, just depends, right? But you just want to know what you want to impart upon them. And then you kind of wait for opportunities where it makes sense that they would find that, whether it's villains are taking info off of treasure, they're taking off of people, books they're reading in a library, you know, they're talking to an ancient fey oracle and she drops a cryptic message, you know, but like, these are, yeah, you know, and again, you didn't have to plan that from start to finish, you just unfold it in its due course. Yeah. Any other questions? Uh, no. I think, I think we've gone through all of them. 
Yeah, I think I think we managed to cover it, and I did a minimal amount of silly voices, which is good. Uh, <laughs> I love silly voices. I mean, I think they're a great way to build character for an NPC. Not that everyone has to do them, but I like them. Um, and so when I tell stories and I make up like examples, also all of those examples I made up were more or less on the fly, but that's kind of my point, right? Like, <laughs> again, I, w- I guess one last caveat is I'm a really strong improviser. Uh, you know, and obviously the examples are pretty flimsy because it's just for, for, for shoots and giggles. But, um, you know, my ultimate advice is always prep what you can't improvise and improvise what you aren't going to prep, right? So even this sort of fluidity, you know, you, again, with the mystery, you just need to know what you want to impart upon them and then you just jump on the opportunities, right? You don't have to come up with them. But if you prefer to, I am not advocating prepping nothing. I'm just saying sometimes it's okay to change things up. Cool. Right. Thanks so much for coming on the show again. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, our art is by Haley Boros. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. Uh, you can find us on social media at DMs of Vancouver. Um, you can find us, or also at Sean P. Hagen and at Jesse the Red, and you can find us on Facebook as well. And we've got a Patreon because we want to try and get better equipment or go to cons or something. Uh, Patreon.com slash DMs of Vancouver. Woohoo! Yeah, um, uh, if you enjoy the show, please rate and review and share with your friends and all that good stuff. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks Bye. a lot. Bye. Bye. Bye.